Hey guys, what's up? It is week 154, and I have a feeling this one's going to be a little quicker than usual. I was up pretty late last night recording the Top 10 of 1985 on the 22 Shots and Moods and Horror podcast. Um, that should be up shortly within maybe next week or so, but uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. It's a very long show. Uh, of course, Bad Moods, Jeremy and JP from the 22 Shots, regular on there, regular guys, and then Derek also joined in, and Carly. So it, it was a very long podcast. Um, we are going to do uh, 11th through 21 later on is, is more of a bonus thing. So uh, keep your ears open for that one. And uh, yeah, um, everybody was a little sleep deprived and some people were drinking, so it gets pretty raunchy, maybe uh, a little bit uh, in on PC. So be warned, um, you know, it was all in good fun, but you know, some people say some things are a little inappropriate, but um, 85 was a hell of a year. Um, this will be the last batch of 85 movies in here that I'll be talking about. And I'm going to try to uh, incorporate maybe a quick top 10 list, a uh, rehash or what was on that podcast later on for you guys um that would be very short and then i'll probably include um the video version of the 11 through 21 of all of us on this video down the line so also i also want to start this with a correction i wanted to mention pulsagari um which is a movie i think i call it from south korea but um i I had seen a little bit about the story of that that it was this really crazy story that uh, north korea dictator kidnapped a south korean director and forced him to direct uh uh, pulsagari and that story is true which blew my mind. So technically, Paul Zagari is a North Korean movie. <laughs> the story behind that is wild and crazy. I have some people that commented on it, uh, so I'll read their comments and everything like that. But I guess we're going to hop into the first review, which is a Patreon pick, which this, one's, this whole video is riddled with Diving 85, Hammer Horror, and the Patreon picks. So yeah, the first one is from my boy Jonathan Wilhelm. He picked Bioslime, which is a movie that had been on my radar for a long time. I know my, uh, Dustin Mills is a fan of Bioslime. He brought it up before. So I was kind of excited to check it out. This one was released by um, Shriek Show, you know, under the Fresh uh, fresh Meat kind of label they had when they were introducing kind of, you know, uh, newer directors and everything like that. So, um, yeah, Bioslime. This story right here is essentially a siege movie, kind of mixed with the Thing deal, but it has some weird stuff that goes a little bit different. What we have is a, a kind of a low-rec criminal. He's supposed to steal this uh, kind of biological weapon, Bioslime, you know, and uh, sell it to a cop or something like that. Something goes wrong. He ends up killing the cop and escaping. With uh, He gets killed. His girlfriend escapes with the bioweapon, takes it to this apartment complex. The bioweapon gets out. Everybody's trapped in there. Among the apartment complex includes, you know, the landlord and his uh, mailway uh, wife, um, mail order Russian bride wife, the main character who's a recovering alcoholic artist, um, a porn uh, director, and a bunch of porn actresses who are involved in the shoot, with some actual porn actresses in there, and uh, a couple other people scattered around within the movie. A, a abused girlfriend and her husband comes looking for her. So all these people become trapped in this apartment with the bio slime. Uh, this movie is one of these things where I absolutely adored half of it and I really disliked the other half so um, it's really weird like half of it to me is the perfect movie and half of it is just a perfect independent low budget movie and half of it is just very annoying um, we'll just start with the negatives really quick the the characters some of them are really kind of lame and they do dumb things and they're kind of poorly written uh, I did not like the lead character at all I thought his performance was kind of lackluster and even when they call back to the movie The Thing they, there's a line that they directly lift from The Thing I think man I wish I was watching The Thing instead of this 
this. So sometimes a, a well-placed homage can make you feel appreciative of the movie, or it can make you think you <laughs> wish you were watching the other one. So it, it had the the uh, latter effect for me on that. The positives, here we go. Um, the special effects on a budget, the practical stuff, the CGI they have to use is not very great, but it's for its time. The practical stuff is top-notch. There's slime, there's goo, there's people being overtaken with the bio-slime. And the bio-slime is a unique weapon. It's used completely, um, you know, not completely different, but in the vein of something like the Quatermass experiment or the thing where it absorbs them and can bring them back at different times. But also the imagery of people being tied up in the bio slime reminds me of the old X-Men comic uh, part. Um, the X-Men comic, there was this character, I can't remember what it was, but he wrapped all the X-Men up in this like this tangled stuff like that. And it was uh, identical to that comic book I had where the cover was all of them being wrapped in something weird. Oh man, what was it? I think that they may have even made a toy of the guy. He had like a French fry head. I think it was that character and he was like this, this bio-engineer weapon kind of nasty thing. And he, it kind of is a story of bio-slime, but there's a really kind of um, more deeper moment where one of the characters is kind of confronted with the bio slime and you realize it's a thinking kind of entity and that was kind of genius and, and different um so all in all i do think it's worth checking out especially for low budget fans but like uh some of the acting and characters just this took me out a little bit too much i, I wish that the lead was different character possibly I, I maybe i'm just tired of the recovering alcoholic artist type character but uh a lot of it was very in, innovative and some of the stuff they did was top notch but other some of the other stuff you know script and acting suffered a little bit but some of the other things I, I kind of loved and there's tons of nudity and stuff if that that's a lot of people will dig it for that how many uh these body horror movies that are like a uh, thing kind of style movies have a, tons of nudity not too many unless it's a Cronenberg of course Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from Dustin Mills, and he picked Fury. It's F-U-R-I-E. Maybe it's, I, I'm not sure if it's actually pronounced in a different way. This is a South Vietnamese movie. I don't think I've ever seen one, and I probably wouldn't have because it says, like, the first uh, South Vietnamese movie released in America. So there we go. This is on Netflix. It's, it came out in the last couple years. And this is your classic kind of martial arts revenge, kind of save a kid kind of movie. It reminded me a lot of the North Korean movie, a Man, The Man from Nowhere, which is an excellent movie about a kidnapped child where he goes after them before the child gets 
gets put into like a you know body harvested type type deal. So we have a female, um, you know, uh, not what's the word I'm looking for? Enforcer. She's a bookie. She collects money, and um, her daughter is highly intelligent. She's a single mother, and everybody kind of laughs at her for it. You know, calls her a bastard and things like that. The school kids, and the daughter is ashamed of her mother being this kind of you know physical force and and whatnot. So. One day at the market, um, after her and her daughter have kind of a, a fight and everything like that, and a trust issues, she is kidnapped by a group of guys, and which leads into one of the great uh, great play, uh, chases I've seen in a very long time. That it goes over on land, on water, a bunch of different vehicles. Pretty crazy, pretty um, well done to be honest. A uh, huge chase scene, and she realizes that her child has been kidnapped by a group of body harvesters who are going to take her and harvest her organs, and it's it goes all the way up to you know the top so uh, a, a cop actually gets involved with the case and you're not sure if you trust him or not but they kind of form this uneasy relationship and they go after the kid um, a lot of this movie's action takes place on a train again which is not very easy um, the fight choreographing stuff is actually pretty well done it's quick and, and it looks slick but then they, you can tell they kind of speed it up when the body punches go in and everything like that I, I, I thought that it was pretty effective um, I wish there was a little bit more killing I, these guys are bad so I wish that she was a little bit more graphic and when she fights them. She does kill some, but I wish she would, you know, um, we would have seen a little bit more graphic death on them because I would like these child kidnappers to be murdered. Um, the main baddie, really, is somebody really cool because it's another really tough female. So we have this female versus female showdown, which is not always the case in a lot of martial arts movies. You usually have a male lead or something like that, but we have two really badass females. Um, and there is a decent drum, dramatic core among family, you know, her uh, previous family and her uh, relationship with her daughter, and it becomes pretty touching and heartfelt. Uh, the lighting I thought was pretty good, too. It's very bright and some crazy colors that probably don't belong there, but I liked it. I dug it. I would recommend checking this one on Netflix. It's a, it's a solid martial arts revenge movie. Um, not even revenge, you know, kind of just kind of, you know, mission movie, save your kid kind of deal. Recommended. Um, yeah. Fury or Furry? I, I, it's F-U-R-I-E. I don't know if it's Furry with with a fury with the IE or what, or fury or whatever it's called. Um, yeah. Tôi theo vụ này đã ba năm rồi. Bọn chúng như những con bạch tuộc. Chặt đứt giờ này, lại mọc ra giờ khác. Đây là một đường dây quốc tế, toàn bộ kéo dài từ đèo Hải Dân và tới Cà Mau. Mày lết được tới đây là giỏi lắm. Nhưng mày vào nhầm chỗ rồi. Tao có thể tới nhầm chỗ. Nhưng mày đã bắt nhầm con tao rồi.
Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from Dan the Cameraman, and this is 1917. Okay, I love war movies. This one is by Sam Mendes, who did Road to Perdition, which is a really great film. I was really blown away by that one. I had not seen his James Bond movies, but 1917 definitely, you know, caught my interest. It's a World War One movie, which is a very, a very rare. Have I ever seen that many World War One movies? And uh, trench warfare is a very scary thing that I've not seen put on film very much. So I was very interested in checking this one out. Um, and it also had kind of a gimmick that it was all made to look like it was in one shot. And uh, it definitely does have that going on. So the plot is essentially two soldiers are picked. Um, one is uh, in relation to the one of the characters that they're trying to save. They are picked to go across enemy lines. It's a British uh, soldiers go across enemy lines through German you know, territory, uh, held territory, find a platoon or a, a battalion and tell them not to do this attack or otherwise it's an ambush and 1600 men will die. So that's essentially well, the plot. So this is like a close to two hour movie and it's just basically almost in real time. These characters got to make it to before a certain time and, you know, get there. So it's a man on a mission movie. It's uh, done really realistically. And for the most part, I feel like this movie falls within its realism. And they do lots of really nice camera shots and tricks um, when they're running through the trenches and bumping into tons of people. The idea that that would have to be really, uh, that would be so hard to do. And of course, they do have cuts hidden among them. And sometimes they're not even obviously hidden. They just, you forget that they're even doing it at times, um, having this do in, in one take. But there's some really scary stuff. Like I said, going through the trenches is horrifying and just nerve wracking. And uh, just stuff makes you cringe at times and there also is this element of these giant rats which I imagine were a huge part of trench warfare because you know there's bodies laying in trenches underground and you know the rats are going to come out and feed on the bodies and just all this nasty disease ridden shit laying around um, yeah the rats are CGI and I know people are like yeah but you kind of have to do it um, I know I know it's not that time in the back in the day when you just throw a big pile of rats in there uh, you know they probably don't like that humane society or animal activists and everything like that for good reason but the CGI rats they look like CGI and um, they, they're good CGI. If this was in like a Marvel movie, you wouldn't complain. But the movie, I think, falls on its realism, to me at least, is, is kind of what it's going for. And the CGI rats definitely feel like CGI rats. And, and the CGI flies, the same thing. That's my only minor knock on the movie. Besides that, the acting's tremendous. And the characters, they feel real. And um, at times, you get frustrated and annoyed with them. Um, at the same time, you kind of put yourself in their situation because they seem like everyday people. They don't seem like these larger-than-life type characters. They seem like everyday people and heroes in a lot of ways. So there's that. There's some really mean war is hell kind of stuff going on that uh, happens. And, and there's a really great touching moment with one of the characters at the end where I thought that it was a really tremendous performance of uh, a lieutenant at the very, very end. But you can see the um, the frustration and the, the you know, just beaten over that you know beaten down kind of looking a lot of these soldiers faces and the way they talk and everything like that uh uh what's the guy's name cumberbatch pops up in here and he, he he's got a nice little role but um there's a lot of familiar faces that pop up in here uh, here and there and I, I thought it was really uh well done kind of great movie and really visually beautiful at the same time highly recommended emotional movie and i think it really picks up at the third act um intense too very intense stuff and if i've ever learned anything thing in these movies never trust a german in a war movie ever 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 don't do it um 1917 in your own time gentlemen must be something big if the channel's here you have a brother in the second battalion yes sir they're walking into a trap 
Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Okay, the next Patreon pick here is from Chris Rivers, and he picked Mr. Boogity, which this is a Disney Club exclusive. There is a sequel. I did not get a chance to watch that. I will down the line. But Mr. Boogity is a 45-minute kids kind of family-friendly movie. It stars um, Richard Masur, or Masar, how do you ever say his name? But he's in The Thing. He's in a bunch of stuff. Um, and it also stars John Astin and um, Ted, uh, 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 Ted, what is it, Bud Bundy is in here? Um, and geez, who's the other kid? It's a very familiar face. I knew who she was right when I saw her but so it's got some familiar faces and this is a super cutesy movie um, it's about this group of this family and they kind of own this gag business you know like whoopee cushion kind of style so they're always having these weird stupid gags here and there you know shake your hand get zapped kind of deal and they buy this house and uh, John uh, Sean Anston is basically there. Now, is it John or is it Sean? I always confuse the Astons. I think it's John Aston, actually. Um, Gomez. Gomez, guys. And he's in Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Well, anyways, Gomez tells him that the house is haunted. And the interaction that he has with Richard um, uh, Masur or whatever is so great. Um, it's very funny. And when he gives him the shock, I loved his dialogue. And he's like, are those expensive? He's like, no. And it's just, he's great in it, although he's not in it enough. But they basically tell them the story of Mr. Boogity. And you realize the house is haunted. And Mr. Boogity had put a curse on there that he had took and taken a woman as his wife or wanted her as his wife and she refused so he kidnapped her child and they're forced to live there and of course Mr. Boogity comes back and he starts all these hauntings and everything like that and there's some weird shenanigans and, and hijinks that ensue I imagine this movie did scare some children at the time 
But um, watching it now for the first time, it's just kind of really light and goofy and cheesy. But all around, it's pretty fun and I enjoyed myself. I don't have that much to say about it. It's only 45 minutes. I would like to dive into the sequel and see how, what they do next. Which I think the sequel is feature length. But I would recommend checking this out if you're in the weird kind of kids movies. Um, I know Jeremy from 22 Shots is. We just had this conversation. So you, you might want to check this one out. But uh, that is Mr. Boogity. Weird, weird stuff. Tonight on the Disney Sunday movie, the Davises are moving into a new house. Definite fixer-upper. Where the tenants are deceased, <laughs> but not departed. This house is not haunted. Keep an eye out for the Boogity Man. What Boogity Man? Boogity Boogity. Now it's every man, woman, and child for himself. I saw him. What a weirdo. Dad's going to negotiate with Mr. Hamburg. It's spirited family fun, oh. Mr. Boogity. I'd move. Okay, this is a Patreon pick, but more importantly, it is the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. <laughs> what you guys are thinking it's been forever since i've had a weekly western and this is uh appalooza you know named after the famous city um this was picked by Bar Derek b and he knows i love westerns i had not seen this one i believe this is written off a book um parker something parker um and you know i'm not familiar with his material i'm pretty sure i've seen movies based off his material but i can't pinpoint it exactly but uh this is actually directed by actor ed harris and uh is based off a book like i said and it stars ed harris uh, vigo morgensen uh morgensen and um lance hendrickson jeremy irons and uh is it is it reese witherspoon i always confuse renee zellweger and reese witherspoon i don't know why it's the weird names to me and i always confuse them and they're nothing alike and it drives me nuts I think it's Renee Selwager. Um, I hate it. It's just weird. It's one of those connections in my head where they were put together forever for no apparent reason. But um, it's the same with Debbie Mazar and Ferzuka Bulk. It's just like, boom, right in my head. But, okay, so... 
All right, this um, is a really excellent Western movie. Um, we have this small town. It's not a small town, but it's a fair, you know, boom town, I guess. It's in a boom town somewhat, but um, they don't really, it's about, you know, cattle and everything like that, I think. So this uh, um, Jeremy Irons is this guy who runs this, uh, you know, big kind of, I think it's a cattle kind of deal where he has all these hands on his uh, ranch and a couple of them are really no good and they do something horrible. The sheriff, local sheriff comes to collect them. They refuse. Jeremy Irons kills them. And uh, so the town is kind of being held hostage almost by Jeremy Irons and his men. They're doing whatever they want. So they decide to hire these kind of uh, Ed Harris and Vigo to kind of be these enforcers and have them be the sheriffs. So they come into town and immediately they start to set these rules forth. And it reminded me of a lot like Tombstone where they ho post the guns and everything like that. You can't carry a gun in town. And they set these rules to basically make sure that these guys have a problem with it so they can take care of these guys. So uh, essentially what happens is, you know, there is some turmoil and Ed Harris and Vigo take out some of Jeremy Irons guys and that the right there there's obviously some you know trouble between them uh, meanwhile Ed Harris also starts to date um, uh, um, Renee Zellweger who's come into town and she's kind of a single very pretty very intelligent woman but uh, she she just um, she has you know some issues with uh, you know um, being mon monogamous let's just put it that way and um, so it kind of gets really complicated, even among Vigo and Ed Harris. Uh, the relationship between Ed Harris and Vigo is excellent. Um, I love it because Ed Harris is always trying to use these big words, and he, he forgets halfway through, and he looks at Vigo. He's like, what's the word I'm trying to use here? And Vigo always fill it in. Vigo is like a highly intelligent kind of character. And uh, I read when I saw him, I was like, this is weird. Like the, the last Western I saw him in, or one of the first movies I ever noticed him in was, um, uh, was besides Texas Chainsaw 3, was uh, Young Guns 2. And he played such an asshole. Time to take your medicine, boy. And uh, I got to say this about Vigo. Um, he's one of these actors. He's not never been one of my favorite actors, although I've always thought he was great and he never let me down. Think about it. All the stuff he's in from Reflecting Skin, The Passion of Darkly Noon, this, um, and the Lord of the Rings movies. And he's just one of the most underrated actors of his time. He never does a bad job. He always is different and unique and just feels 100% in the role with an intensity. And um, he's tremendous in this movie. He's actually so good in this movie. Uh, the way his demeanor is, um, the way he handles himself. He's also a very well-written character. I actually know somebody quite like him. Um, and I just thought he was a tremendous character. And Ed Harris as well. So basically what happens is um, Jeremy Irons is uh, basically put on trial for everything that he's done. Somebody's going to speak against him. They sentence him to hang. And some uh, uh, badass bounty hunter type guys that Ed Harris knows, one of which played by Lance Hendrickson, uh, comes in and they break Jeremy Irons out. And they start to chase each other. And it, it turns into this big kind of feud between all of them. And the way this ends, I don't want to spoil it because this movie is one of these deals where it goes places you don't really expect, but there are some really great sacrificing, self-sacrificing moments in here that I loved. Some good, quick, fast shootouts that happen, matter of fact, and quick. But um, love the performances in here. Loved how it unfolded. It's a, it's a really great Western film with a lot of those kind of uh, things you've seen in other ones all mixed together and, and kind of perfection, to be honest. I, I gave it a three and a half in Letterboxd. It's more of a four once I think. I keep thinking about it. It's just much better than what I gave it. And, you know, I made Maybe I just would need to rewatch it, but Al Palooza, uh, Appalooza, sorry, um, really great stuff. Men like us do gun work because we can, because we're better at it than most. You're as good as Virgil with a gun? I've never seen anybody as good as Virgil. This is 
is an uncertain kind of work we do. How long have you been killing people for a living? I don't kill people. I enforce the law. Appaloosa is on the verge of becoming a ghost town. You boys are under arrest. Nobody saw that. This didn't happen. Mr. Cole, Mr. Hitch, we want our town back. It's what we do. It is, ain't it? Can I finish my coffee first? You surely may. I'm the new city marshal. You're a dead man. You ain't got no jurisdiction up here. Jurisdiction? I believe he means jurisdiction. If he does, and he's by God right about it. We'll kill you and Hitch. You'll try. You shot three of my men. Matter of fact, I only shot two. Mr. Hitch shot the other one. Anything happens to me, I'd appreciate you looking after Allie. He's begging something special. Are you afraid? Feelings get you killed. Looks like you made your first mistake, Cole. You afraid to die? I ain't afraid. Good, because you go first. Deserves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, now it's time to dive into 1985. Let me ask you a question, kid. Did you see that movie, Night of the Living Dead? Fresh bodies, fresh bodies. Would you know there's a feeling when you're stopping our life?
you feel. Forget it, Vic. Just forget it. But I think you're really out of line. Okay, the first one I watched on Amazon Prime is going to be a quickie because it's not really a horror movie. It is Joe Dante's Explorers. I had never seen Explorers. I know my friend Matt Hudson. It's one of his all-time favorite movies. And um, I wish I would have saw this younger. I feel like I would have more of a connection to it. It stars Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix and another young kid that did a couple movies, but I'm not too familiar with them. It also has Dick Miller, who I noticed right away. And um, Robert Picardo is in here. He also plays a voice. And, uh, geez, it has uh, um, the kid from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 in Class of 1999. He's in here as well. What is his name? Bradley something. I can't think, but he pops up as one. One of the bullies but okay this is very 85 and with stuff like the goonies coming out the same year and the weird kids movies like frog dreaming and stuff it fits right into the weird 1985 kid movie mold um so yeah we have these kind of two three misfits really that become friends although one is kind of you know maybe more on the more poor side coming from like a broken kind of family deal and he doesn't he's kind of tough so he really wouldn't hang out with the other two but he ends up you know befriending Ethan Hawke's character and whatnot River Phoenix um, plays a nerdy character which I, you would never put him as the nerdy kind of character and everything he's in like every kids movie there is um, I mean not kids movie but very like you know at the time like Stand By Me and all sorts of things so he, he always comes to mind for this kind of stuff but he never comes to mind for like a nerd i think it's even this movie but not as this character which kind of blows my mind so it's a little different for him um ethan hawk is so weird in this seeing him so young because i don't know if i've ever seen him this young it just kind of blew my mind so um these three nerds not nerds like i said outcast one's really a nerd these three kind of misfits end up um screwing around on the computer and um it's really weird how this unfolds like um, um ethan hawk has this dream where he gets these coordinates and this weird kind of travel and virtual reality. So he takes it to his friend, they punch it in the computer, and for some reason these coordinates create some sort of ship that is invisible. It's like a force field, and they can change it and everything like that. And before they, before you know what's going on, they're using it to fly around the town, which is kind of really crazy and different and very, you know, childlike fantasy kind of movie. Um, I really had a hard time grasping the science of this, but they kind of uh, explain it to a certain extent. Um, and some of that explanation kind of uh, unfolds into Dick Miller's character. And that, that's probably the most heartfelt, touching, and most interesting moment of the movie is when you realize that Dick Miller has wants to attract these kids because he sees them flying around on the ship. And it's a spaceship kind of deal. So he, he's in a, he's like kind of a, you know, a helicopter pilot that is called because they're causing a ruckus and he's kind of scanning the area. 
you know, sees a UFO. So he becomes interested in it and uh, he becomes obsessed with it. And you realize that he had the same dreams and that kind of idea that there's this broad kind of broadcast sent out to individuals that maybe are, you know, a bit different or sensitive or outcast can see this kind of weird calling to them. It's, it's a little, I like that. I think it's pretty sweet and kind of different and very eighties. So uh, essentially they get these coordinates to go somewhere and they meet some aliens. And a weird, crazy moment, uh, and weird stuff happens. And they say, um, uh, I, like, it's funny that even the, the brain rot of television has made it into space and changed <laughs> and affected aliens as well. It's kind of the statement on that. But they make a couple of funny comments, which fe- seem very Joe Dante. The idea that aliens are terrified to come to Earth because they see an American cinema and what happens to aliens. I kind of love that. That feels super Joe Dante. Um, this isn't necessarily a horror movie. I kind of wanted to watch it for 85 because I'd never seen it. And I felt that it could kind of maybe be thrown in that category. Um, it is kind of a messy sloppy movie that doesn't feel 100% complete but I guarantee if you saw this at a young age you have an affection and fondness for it I just did not so I do kind of enjoy it to a certain extent it has a lot of cool unique things going on but um, it it feels very 80s kids movie and it just doesn't connect fully with me but there is some interesting aspects to it that is Explorers Hey, watch what you're doing. Shh, pass me the Phillips head. Don't like that. You need to ratchet it here. I can't do anything with your hand in the way. It's stuck. Give me that thing. Here. Ouch! Watch it. Shh. Be quiet, man. Bang like that, your mom's gonna wonder what we're doing. If this thing works, everyone's gonna wonder what we're doing. There. I think that's it. Yeah. Switch on the computer. Ready? From the director of Gremlins, Explorers, coming this summer from Paramount Pictures. The adventure begins in your own backyard. Okay, the next 1985 one is another wonky, crazy kids movie. And this is from uh, Brian Treachard Smith. And this is Frog Dreaming, a.k.a. The Quest, which I actually have a VHS of as well. Um, So... Yeah, this stars, uh, what's the kid's name? Thomas Elliot or Elliot Thomas? Elliot Thomas from E.T. And this is an Australian movie, which is really weird because he's like the only American character in this Australian movie. This is another weird movie, kind of adventure kind of film, where he's kind of just the weird kid who's always trying to do these crazy stunts and scientific things. His father had passed, and he lives with his father's best friend who kind of lets him free roam the area and do whatever he wants. Um, he has his girlfriend and these other kids that he, this, uh, her sister he hangs out with all the time. And, you know, sometimes he's getting them all into trouble and doing these crazy things but one day he um stumbles across this kind of uh it looks like this big abandoned kind of pond next to this old mill or something like that and uh there's something within it he thinks and it ties into these aboriginal kind of beliefs uh, which is uh they call it frog dreaming where any place had a supernatural kind of bad omen element they kind of passed it they called them frog dreaming so they would skip all these kind of deals and this pond has this huge um you know deal that it is one of these and it has 
as a sort of supposed demon or something like that. I don't know what its name. I, I wouldn't try to pronounce it. But if uh, you, know, you cannot become a man until you see said demon. And there's this kind of hermit that lives outside the town that uh, that is just a skeleton at the time. Um, they find him as a skeleton and they think that maybe he was killed by this demon. So um, Elliot Thomas becomes obsessed with capturing him or seeing him and everything like that. And there's constant pictures of frogs around this swamp and everything like that. And uh, it's just big rumbling coming out of the uh, the water and everything. But then the reveal is something else. But then there's also this nice little supernatural tinge to it as well. Um, there's some shots here that do make it look scary and spooky, like somebody standing at the end of a boardwalk and foggy uh, mist coming across and everything like that. There's those kind of elements, of course, and there is a uh, sense of danger, and there's a really creepy kind of moment, too, where something kind of almost happens where you're like, oh, that, they're, they're going there? Are they going to go there? So, like, as far as stuff like um, Peanut Butter Solution, I think this one would probably make a good double feature, uh, 85 weirdo kid movies, Frog Dreaming and the Peanut Butter Solution. Um, I Again, I don't adore this movie or anything like this, but I do think that there is some cool, unique things going on. And it does have a very, you know, small town feel that I kind of enjoy at the same time. And there's a couple of familiar faces in here for sure. A lot of weird characters in this town too, like uh, almost like over-the-top character actor types. Um, I think the police chief is the guy. I think he pops up at Homebound, um, if I'm not, Housebound, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, I think it's the same guy. I know New Zealand and Australia share a lot of the same actors. But Frog Dreaming, a.k.a. The Quest, I, I do think if you like weird kid movies, another one worth looking into. Henry Thomas is back as Cody Walpole. There's no brakes! He made it! There's no brakes! Cody is an adventurer about to discover the secret of frog dreaming. Gaza, what do you know about a pond five miles east of Devil's Knob? I want you to promise me you'll stay away from that pond. Do you believe in monsters? Some for 20 years. I was married to one. First you dance with the devil. Then you find out about Donkey. Cody, just hang on. This is going too far. That thing could be a thousand feet deep if there's a bottom at all. I reckon I got about three minutes worth of air down there. Thomas from E.T. is Cody Walpole, whose search for adventure takes you to the depths of a legend, the legend of frog dreaming. Okay, here we go. One from 1985. It's a Canadian movie uh, shot on Betamax, and this is uh, The Tower. Uh, this, I basically put in my letterbox review, this is like 2001 meets something, I, I can't remember, <laughs> meets high-rise horror, 2001 meets high-rise horror. This is super boring. This is an hour and 43 minute movie, uh, SOV kind of deal. Hour and 43 SOV movies, like two and a half hour regular movie. So... <laughs> 
the main complaint about this movie is it's a big high rise. It's full of a bunch of people and um, everybody's an asshole or an idiot or a mixture of both. I just did not want to watch these people at all. Um, essentially what happens is the computer is programmed to be pretty self-efficient and take care of everything self-sufficient and efficient at the same time and take care of everything. But there's a programming error and it doesn't want to waste energy and it's using too much energy. So it starts to suck up people and turn them into energy. So that's the plot. Everybody who touches a certain thing gets sucked up and disappears. There's no real, uh, you know, effects like in terms of gore or violence or anything like that. And uh, there's some assholes, some criminals in there, and it just becomes tedious as hell. There's this one point where this old woman who's like um, just a miserable piece of crap for no reason. You could have made her nice. Um, she's actually there to catch her cheating husband who's also a miserable piece of crap. So it's just like so she's there to cheat, catch her cheating husband, and, and there's one she has her high heels on and the lady's like maybe you should take this off to help you she's like i know what i'm doing i'm not that old and then she takes off the heels anyways when she's not looking and then she decides they're all staying in the stairwell because they don't want to go out into the area because that's where it's dangerous and the things will get you um you know the machine or whatever the computer so then she's just like goes out anyways not listening and then she decides to fucking shop and it's just like what are we doing here why are why are we doing this everybody knows there's a huge sense of danger all you have to do is sit in the stairwell for four fucking hours you can't do that I know if they don't go out, they don't do any any something doesn't happen. But couldn't you at least had like the creature the, the the machine lock the stairwell doors? I mean, it's your control of the writing, right? You can write whatever you want. So why even go in the stairwell or have something where it, I don't know it, it gets them out of the stairwell without people just being like, I guess I'm leaving for no reason. And it's just like this is ridiculous. This is like fourth grader kind of stuff. You're not gonna leave if you know you can die just by touching a door or something like that. But she ends up walking and shopping, and and it's funny because the thing will even if it touches you you die so like for some reason it lets the lady go in the store sucks out all her air then kills her i'm like well she could have touched anything and she could have got evaporated she have to touch the door she was going to touch the door eventually right whatever but uh yeah um just uh very stupid very boring uh everybody's a douchebag in it that's the problem with the movie for me. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm being too harsh on this one, but I wanted to fall asleep and it's just boring and uh, I just do not care for it. It's just not very effective. Just 2001 is an excellent movie, of course. You know, that whole idea of, uh, you know, the computer programming taking over itself and becoming dangerous is a, is a great concept for a movie. But uh, this one really doesn't work. Watch Evolver or something over this one. But uh, The Tower, no, no thank you. I think it'd be better if you came with us. probably be easier if you took your shoes off. I'm not in the grave yet, sweetie. I didn't mean anything. I'm just trying to help. Go help your boyfriend. Okay, the next one, 1985, is called... This is the VHS Cut Box. Remember these? Uh, uh, Terminal Choice. This is a Vestron tape. 
Um, yeah, I put this in. I had never seen it. Didn't know much about it. It has who's in here. David McCollum from um, The Great Escape. The guy who basically Charles Bronson stole Jill Ireland from him. And um, Robert Joy is in here. And uh, geez, there's um, Ellen Barkin is in here. I think this one's Canadian as well. And it also has an idea of, you know, that computer technology taking over. Uh, this basically follows the choice of uh, the main character in here is a, dr a doctor who is kind of a drunk and he screwed up years ago. So he's got kind of a shady past. Um, I mentioned Robert Joy's in here too. I think I did. So essentially he starts to lose patience when he shouldn't in this high tech hospital with uh, where the machines kind of control themselves. They give dosage, they give you, you know, cardiac, you know, the defibrillator on its own, all sorts of things like that. So what happens is he starts to dig deeper and uh, people that start to dig deeper, they realize there's a conspiracy. Some of them start ending up getting sick and dying and everything like that. And in fact, the first death in here is very bloody and nasty. There's just blood coming out of somebody's nose and everything like that. And he starts to realize there's obviously a conspiracy and there you find out that everybody on the staff is betting on, you know, if this person's going to be discharged or not, but somebody's taking it one step further. Maybe they're actually killing them to win the bets. So that's uh, the, the plot of Terminal Choice. It's, it's really kind of a mystery kind of thriller type deal but it's it's well done and it unfolds really well and also the guy one of the um uh, older uh miners uh kind of asshole guys from my bloody valentine is also in this movie as a, a insurance investigator so uh, yeah um yeah i actually like this one i thought it was pretty good and i like alan barkin's really good in it there's only one moment where it starts to get clunky and that's at the very end one of the characters is in a hospital bed and instead of getting he lets him take him to the same hospital where he discovered all this shit was going on after all this and uh and he's still like they just get him out of hospital bed immediately but they keep like having to fight a bunch of shit that keeps turning on by itself there's double twist um robert joy is creepy um you know he pops up and stuff like land of the dead and the dark half and a bunch of other movies so um it's well acted it's a, it's a nice tight thriller i think it's pretty solid maybe they could trim off a little bit or add another element into it but i think for what it is it's pretty good pretty good kind of a hidden gem from 85 got a little gambling game going gambling I'm walking. What started as a game has become a deadly undertaking, and the prognosis is terminal. Terminal choice. Come on, let me see you kill somebody. Rated R. Now playing at a theater or drive-in near you. Okay, this next one is actually a rewatch, and uh, this is 1985's The Aftermath. This is a Belgian movie. This is apparently the 25th anniversary. I've talked about this before. But yeah, I, I was like, man, I should rewatch that one because it's the only Belgium kind of French movie, even from 85, that's a horror or horror adjacent movie. So this uh, one I popped in, and like I said, I liked it the first time around. But I like this one a lot more this time. Uh, this is a post-apocalyptic crazy movie. And like I said within the last time review, within the first 10 minutes or 5 minutes of this movie, there's this really gross, weird scene in necrophilia. There is uh, a homosexual rape. And then there is a weird, nasty lesbian sex scene. Well, it's beautiful at first, and it turns very, very cruel afterwards. Within, like, the first ten minutes. This movie has... It's like a taboo checker. If I, I could compare it to anything else, I would put it at something like Island of Death by um, Nico Makaraskis. But I would say that this one is more... Uh, earnest. Like, Island of Death is just like, we want to break as many taboos as we can. And the aftermath, there is a lot of nasty, disturbing stuff, but I think there is a sense of almost humanity within it at, at times, and it becomes touching at the very end. 
really like the score in this one too, but it just goes really crazy and does lots of weird stuff um, in this post-apocalyptic world. There's no real sp spoken dialogue, and um, basically what happens is the main character, he's in this weird facility, and um, he has sex with a frozen dead body. Um, there's some sort of explosion is what I'm gathering, and he's kind of put out into this world of cruelty where the first people he encounters beat him and rape him. Um, he then um, ends up seeing a lesbian couple and sees a brutal murder there so it's like he sees like this cruelty then this beauty like sexual beauty and everything and maybe this touchingness where it's like not and then it turns into that same thing where it's cruel and then he ends up becoming a slave for a while and he's just and then he ends up actually befriending someone and, and trusting this woman and they start this relationship and they're together and it just makes it that much more you know uh, there's a will to live here but at times they even turn cruel and do things like that. But they encounter all sorts of horrible people from like weird religious uh, groups that are obviously twisted and turned and also like groups of cannibals. So all sorts of crazy things that you could uh, experience in the post-apocalyptic world, but they have to become cruel and fight uh, and everything like that. But uh, what these this couple overcomes and, and the very ending with the triumphant music at the end, um, I, I really like this one actually. I think it's, it's really good and and I think it's different, and I think it's just batshit crazy. I know the director went on to do two more Aftermath movies. They're, la they're later movies. I hear they're not nearly as good or don't have any of the impact or interesting stuff, but I don't know if that's true. I know one has Osama Bin Laden on the cover, which is just like, that doesn't seem like it fits the other ones, but oh well, whatever. Um, but yeah, I really like this one. If you can find it, check it out. I think that um, it's well worth your time, and uh, a gem of the 85. Um, crazy post-apocalyptic, weird movie with lots of really um, stomach turning stuff in there, churning stuff. So, yeah, the aftermath. Again, we have another rewatch, so I'll be brief with it. It is Transmutations, a.k.a. Underworld, by George Pavlo, who would go on to direct, you know, Rawhead Rex and Little Devils. This is based off uh, Clyde Barker's source material. We all know the story that George Pavlo directed Transmutations and Rawhead Rex so poorly, according to Clyde Barker, he stepped up and directed Hellraiser. So thank you, George Pavlo, because I love Hellraiser. But uh, Transmutations, it, it, it should, uh, on paper, it sounds great to me. It's a mixture of Nightbreed and Ozone, um, the uh, J.R. Bookwalter movie. So I'm like, those those are great. So we have this chemist in Damhel Elliott, who is kind of a classy actor. Um, he's making this weird drug that all these 
these kind of people that live underground are taking, but it, it makes you super strong, but it also causes mutations. This uh, mob, um, these mutations, these trans mutations, end up kidnapping this this high class prostitute from uh, Ingrid Pitt's um, uh, actual like brothel. And they take her underground, and she actually is somebody who uses the drugs too, but she doesn't have any side effects, and she actually has positive side effects, kind of magical powers to some extent, is what some people are saying. There is a gangster that wants um, this this one guy who used to date that girl and used to be a druggy kind of bad guy um, to go down and find her and everything like that. Of course, you can't trust a gangster. He's no good, and there's some double-crossing going on. Um the, the guy who's hired to go down there and find her, he's such a weird, bland character. He's supposed to be like this ex-punk, like maybe crazy criminal, and he has these red streaks in his hair. But he seems so uptight and so square, he just does not fit in this movie at all. And I don't think he works at all. He's just really like a sore thumb. Like, this guy, I can't see that hard edge to him. I mean, he has a hard edge, but it's more like an uptight hard edge. It's like, I can't see him being like this crazy, druggy or criminal thing type deal. Um, the two henchmen, one is okay, uh, the baddie, but one is so annoying. He's so cheap. He's got his hair slicked back and these sunglasses. Awful. And I'll mention again that there's lots of characters hiding in areas shooting while people are standing out in the open wasting the people who are hiding. It's like, whatever. There's lots of just dumb moments where, like, they uh, one of the transmutations is hurt and he's like, come here, come here, come here. And one to the bad guys. And you know what he's going to do, but the bad guy still goes up there. It's just like dumb shit like that. Um, there's a cool meltdown at the very end of the movie. All in all, though, it's really tedious to get through. And the music at the end is actually kind of decent. I kind of like the music and the action sequence besides the obvious people standing in the open and killing everybody. But um, uh, the special effects on the creatures, I mean, I wish they would have went more elaborate, like Nightbreed. That would have been excellent um, if they were more monstrous and everything like that. And they could have done so many cool things with it. Kind of reminds me also of Severed Ties. Remember that movie where there's like these people in the sewer that are, and there's like the weird detached arm with Oliver Reed. Weird, crazy movie. But it kind of reminds me of that too. But um, it just doesn't very, it doesn't really work for me. I think it's really sloppy and kind of just kind of just eh, boring very boring like i said when a when a british movie is is boring it's really boring so yeah transmutations
Okay, we have another rewatch. Uh, it should be a quickie. That is Terror in the Swamp. Yeah, this is also a New World video, which I forgot to mention that freaking Cut and Run was also a New World video. So, and the, and the stuff. So many New World videos, uh, Roger Corman's uh, company. So this is Terror in the Swamp. Like, I did review and watch this one before. It was actually the first of the VHS voyages. And yeah, I don't know any of the actors in this movie. This is Hicksploitation. And uh, it involves uh, some experiments in the swamp that turn the Nugina. Is it Nugina, which is basically just a giant swamp rat into a uh, rat man a rat bear where rat where rat thing or whatever the hell it is and it's like a giant swamp rat that's running around the swamp killing people so essentially what happens is you know it kills people here and there we see its point of view um, we hear a lot of weird squealing from it there's some poachers out there a family of poachers these two big boys and their dad and their friend and uh, they're really huge and they're really kind of funny and the one is kind of like dim-witted and uh, obviously uh, his, his scenes are kind of funny. Uh, I showed a clip from that last time, and somebody said, uh, like, they were like, Pacino, De Niro, um, Brando, move over, or something like that. And, then, and it just cracked me up because he has, he's like, Jesse, Jesse, he killed Paul. It, it's just over the top and, and actually kind of fun, even though he is like endearing character, I guess, to a certain point. It is still very funny because it's such a trashy, you know, just like a backwoods swamp movie. But, uh, of course, there is a game warden uh, out there uh, getting involved and all sorts of people like that. Uh, and the, che the cops are involved in finding it. But the medical facility doctors are pieces of crap and they, they want to, you know, cover up the Nugina and because they're doing these experiments and everything like that. So they accidentally made it. So they put a reward out for anything bigger than 100 pounds that could be, you know, not a bear. So all these guys go out to the swamp and there's chaos and the, the rat man thing starts killing people and slashing them it's okay the rat man looks kind of silly but um i, I kind of like it uh you know if this was on blu-ray it would look a lot better i don't have very much to say about this one to be honest I, i've talked about it before so that's tearing the swamp it, it got a little better on this viewing so yeah and i do think that um the brother poachers they ain't that bad actors especially you know the main one the guy one with the fro i think he's kind of cool so yeah Johnny! Johnny! Daddy! 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 What's wrong? What's wrong? We're going away to get you to Arnold's. What's going on? Daddy! It was Pa's leg! Chelsea! I know it was Pa! Chelsea, what happened? I know it was Pa, Chelsea. He's dead. I saw his leg! Where, T Bob? Where? On the trail. No. We were drunk last night, me and Bubba. Bob and Joe went out to fix the generator. We heard it scream like we did that day in the marsh. That's right, T-Bob. We run outside and took a couple of shots at it, but it dragged your paw off in the marsh. We were too drunk to track it at night. That's right, T-Bob. We lit out at daybreak. We done picked up some tracks headed that away. Kill <laughs> paw, Jesse. What are we going to do? How we gonna get along, Jesse? Don't worry, T-Bob, I'll take care of you. I promise you this. I don't know what that thing was, but I'm gonna catch it. I'll kill it. I'll skin it alive! What we gonna do without Paul, Jesse? He taught us everything we know. Don't you fret none, T-Bob. Come on with us. Jesse's right. We're gonna get whatever it was that killed your paw. 
Come on. Across the swamp. Going on Butcher's Cove. We're gonna pick up some of that stuff we got down there. And we're gonna find whatever it was that got Paul. And we're gonna fix his wagon for sure. I guarantee you. Come on. Okay, the next one is going to be a super quickie, and this is another cut box, Tear on Tape. This is just a compilation video, but it's hosted by Cameron Mitchell, <laughs> and it's super silly. Um, so essentially, Cameron Mitchell runs a video store, and he's like a ghoulish guy, and people walk in, and they vary from people that don't like horror movies to people that love horror movies to people that want to be afraid. Um, the last one is, um, is it Michelle Bauer? She comes in, and she gets off on being scared, but she can never get scared, so she's like, I need to be scared, and she's putting her cleavage in, the, in Cameron Mitchell's face, yada, yada, yada. The movie's really cheesy, really silly, has a bunch of clips from stuff like Deadly Spawn, uh, Vampire Hookers, all sorts of things on there. Jeez, uh, there's one called Kidnapping a President or Killing a President that I didn't know what the hell it was, and that's not a horror movie, but there's other stuff in there too, of course. Um, Cameron Mitchell, uh, it cracks me up because they're like, then check this movie out, and then they'll put his narration over clips too. I'm going to be very short and sweet with this one. There's not much to talk about, but uh, like I said, there's a construction worker that's like, he's like, yeah, I like this stuff. Give me some gory movies. But they go over tons of movies and clips and everything. So if you don't want any of them spoiled, don't watch it because Scalps is in there. Um, to the Devil, a Daughter. It's really random. Is it Continental Video or something like that? I think it is Continental Video. Yeah, I just looked at it. So all those releases at the time. So that's Tear on Tape. Don't have very much to say about it besides that. Um, but it is fun seeing Cameron Mitchell chew the scenery. And like I said, I'm pretty sure Cameron Mitchell did it for the booze. Oh, my God. Well, now, what can I do for you? I want you to try and satisfy me. To help me to achieve that supreme moment that every woman experiences. That is every woman except me. Well, I'd... I'd love to help you, madam. Oh, just exactly what did you have in mind? I want you to make me shudder. Yes, shudder. I want to feel butterflies in my stomach. There's butterflies in your stomach. I want my whole body to tremble and throb. Stop and throb, yes. I want my brain to tingle. Yes, tingles. I want my knees to grow yes, weak. Yes, I've never felt it, and I want it so bad. Yes, yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Felt what? I've never felt scared in my life. I want you to show me something that will really terrify me. Make my skin crawl. I've come to you because you're my last hope. Please say you'll help me. But there are hundreds of movies out there that should give you a good scare. I've seen them all and nothing. Not one of them has given me a frightening moment. Sometimes I think there's something wrong with me, that I'm not normal or something. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm not capable of feeling terror. Maybe I should just give up. Oh, no, no. Of course you're normal. I can tell that by just looking at you. Well, then show me something that will really frighten me. You say you've seen them all and nothing scares you? Hmm. Well, I have 
I have a little something that might do the trick, but I, no, I hesitate to show you. Okay, the next one is a TV movie from 85, and this is the last one I watched for 1985, and this is Tear at London Bridge. And I put this on, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this one. This is one on Amazon streaming. Um, yeah. Uh, so I was like, I put it in. I was like, why not? And then I saw the cast, and I was going through, and I was like, okay, David Hasselhoff is the main star. So I was like, what the hell? I started kind of chuckling, and then it was like Adrian Barbo. I was like, oh, cool. And it was like Clue Gulliver. I was like, oh, yeah, the third Clue Gulliver from 85, along with return and nightmare on elm street 2 and then it said lane smith and i was like you know what i'm just gonna watch this one it's got a nice cast it's a tv movie it's a second jack the ripper story from 85 along with the ripper and it's also a weird supernatural tale so um this is basically the story you know how the london bridge is in in arizona now they took it apart well they found one rock that was at the bottom of the you know, in at the, the river and they put it back into the bridge but what you guys don't know is jack the ripper jumped off that bridge and died to his death i think his blood got on that rock or something like that so when they put that rock back in and somebody walks across the bridge and cuts himself it revives jack the ripper and he comes back into this small town and he starts to pick off women and david hasselhoff who is a chicago cop with a with a troubled past it, it's up to him to stop it clue gulliger's the chief he don't want a problem lane smith is running the city council and like the mayor from Jaws, he wants business as usual so they can make money. Yep, you get it. You've seen this before. Adrian Barbeau is a sexy librarian looking for a date. Um... <laughs> This is a, it's fairly cheesy and there's this really great moment where David Hasselhoff has this like dramatic moment. He's like staring at the thing and I, I had trouble not laughing. Like he's trying his best. It's not horrible acting, but it's just like, I don't know. The whole scene comes across really cheesy and there's him dancing the disco for a second on the thing and just for a couple seconds, but it's a, it's overall fairly decent um, and Jack the Ripper, there's a twist where it pulls you for a fast one where you don't expect something and you're like, oh wow, I'm kind of surprised I fell for that, I'm an idiot. But um, didn't hate it, didn't love it, I thought it was a little bit better than average TV movie and uh, I, I'm glad I kind of watched it to be honest. And, and I swear Clue Gulliger, I love him, but he's doing like the same thing he's doing in Return of the Living Dead. He's like, how's it going buddy boy? I, I, does he say buddy boy in every movie he's in? I sure hope so because he's one of my favorite actors so he's one of my favorite performances in Return of Living dead of all time so like i just imagine he says buddy boy quite a bit so uh <laughs> just let this one's enjoyable love clue in it and lane smith plays a great prick um if you can't get lee ermy get lane smith i guess um so yeah that is uh terror at london bridge <laughs> Don't worry about your wife. People don't just disappear in Havasu. This came from under the nail of the deceased's right forefinger. Hundred-year-old blood. That's a theory, Gregory. That's all it is. It's a theory, and it's your theory. I don't want to see your theories in the newspaper. You be careful, you hear? Our history section is just right down there in section D, to the left. I lied. I've never been fishing before in my life.
I could really use some company. Well? Oh, it's fine. You know, your attitude stinks, man. Don't you see? The first murder was committed during the 24-hour period in which the stone was being dedicated. What are you saying? What, what, what are you talking about? Okay, the last one I'm going to talk about is um, Medium. And this is a Polish film that's actually on Netflix and, and it's streaming. It, it looks excellent and I, compared to the version I watched. I watched it on YouTube before I knew it was on Netflix like an idiot. But this is a Polish movie and it's um, kind of like a police procedural, kind of like Patrick, the Australian movie. Um, I was watching this and at first I was like, man, what is this? This is very confusing and semi-inept, but I can feel like I'm, I'm connecting the dots, but I'm missing a major point. And then after one moment in the movie, it all connected. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, this is a genius movie. This is absolutely a hidden gem, very intelligently made and very well worth your time if you can pay attention and connect the dots. After, after a certain moment, you kind of connect the dots. So what happens here is this is kind of a strange way to start this. We have this guy, um, he's into the occult and he's um, going through a medium and she's telling him there's these these people these three people that are kind of going towards this one house and everybody's going towards this house and they don't know they're doing it and then they wake up and we have this uh, police officer who goes to buy food for his fish and the pet store owner is passed out in sort of some sort of diabetic coma but he finds a strange man who's there who um, seems out of it and doesn't know what's going on he starts to question him and uh, he tells him there's another man here he can't remember him he gave him an injection he doesn't know why he's here or what's going on and so the old man who is put in a diabetic coma they kind of set to the sent to the hospital and uh, all these stories start to unfold and the three individuals that were in that scene were kind of being controlled in the medium's face all start to come together and there's an old murder that happened years ago and all these people kind of reflect individuals from that story and the, the police uh, detective is involved as well and it gets really kind of weird and crazy and it has all these uh, it's all to the backdrop of you know the rise of Nazi uh, Nazis and everything so and there's a lot of people that sympathize with Hitler in it it just is a really weird kind of movie and the ending's great and I really liked it and I don't want to spoil too much because the twists are great but once you figure out um, there's this mark on this one character's hand once they show that mark and i was like oh no he was and i it kind of blew my mind and i was like oh man that is awesome that is excellent and i thought that you know this isn't typically you know my kind of thing with the supernatural aspect but the way the story unfolds i, I mean i like supernatural stuff okay it, i like you know love phenomenon and suspiria but i've never been big into you know I, I guess i do like this more than ghost stories i'm not big into ghost stories this isn't that like i said it's more of a patrick style story and the way it unfolds i thought was wonderful and genius and i was really impressed with it um so i think this is a, actually a hidden gem and really well made well acted kind of crazy movie that's just batshit and i've never seen anything quite like it. it's called medium it's on it's a polish film it's on uh netflix so check it out if you can it, it's really good hammer time for all who are willing to pay the price we invite you to go through the mirror of life
we're here for hammer time. It's the most realistic hammer sound of all time. There we go. Alright, and we're here to do the final in the Frankenstein series. Uh, seven films. This is the, uh, I guess, climax or the... Egg. Not necessarily climax, but it's Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Terrence Fisher comes back to direct, and uh, Peter Cushing comes back uh, again. It didn't follow a se It's not a sequel to Horror Frankenstein, which is a semi-remake. It is a sequel to, um, I guess, which is the last one, Frankenstein Created Woman, which none of them really have any um, a through line through them. So this also stars Shane uh, Bryant, or as his name is, whatever. He was in Fear of the Night. Um, Demons of the Mind, uh, geez, um, what's the one where they go in the town? Straight Until Morning, right. so he's in, yeah, he's in a bunch of these ones most recently. No, he's in Captain Kronos, too, so he's in a bunch of these movies, and he's in, yeah, he's really good, actually. I've grown to like him. He's yeah, like the last too. Hammer star there was, and he's perfect as this kind of snooty rich kid, and he reminds me uh, very much of young Baron Frankenstein in The Curse of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Um, so here we go. Now, uh, Dr. Frankenstein somehow is manipulated to take over an insane asylum by, I guess, having dirt on a bunch of the people that work there. And, uh, Shane Bryant has been performing these Frankenstein kind of acts. He was infatuated with the man and tried to do his own weird kind of, you know, um, experiments like Dr. Frankenstein did. He gets sent to this mental asylum, soon realizes that Dr. Frankenstein is actually in charge, not a patient there, and starts to work with Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein to create a monster from hell. And it's funny because it's almost as if Frankenstein hasn't learned anything from any of these movies because none of these movies have actually taken place prior besides the first two. Yeah, you, happen. yeah you can't take any two of these Frankenstein <laughs> movies. Except Curse and Revenge. Yeah, and like put them like, I don't know where the timeline is. Like, frankly, I thought that um, he died in, is it Created Woman where it catches on fire? He dies in all of them. Does but he die in this one? Somehow, no, no. Sometimes they give him an end. Yeah. Uh, and this one ends in almost, like you said, a meta, very comical yeah, way. Yeah, it does. It ends like Pinky in the Brain. What are we going to do tomorrow? We're going to try. <laughs> he just repeats it. He's going to do the same thing he always does, try to create a monster. Um, but essentially, they start to build a monster. There's a mute girl helping him, and the mute girl story ties into the director of the hospital, who's a real creep. He reminds me of, like, perverted Oliver Reed. If Oliver Reed wasn't perverted enough, uh, <laughs> I love Oliver Reed, but, you know, he's, like, really creep. I guess he's, like, an... Uh, a wussy version of Oliver Reed is what I'd say. Yeah, I actually, I would have liked to see Oliver Reed play this part. Um, and it's just with the guy looks, and he also has like a fondness for um, Brandy. But um, <laughs> I think they're using Oliver Reed's personal um, decanter <laughs> set. But um, I, I feel like it probably would have added more to the movie. But although the, the head of the assignment, Reed he's was not a star by much. that. Yeah, he wasn't. Well, what was he in currently? I don't, in that time, he was yeah. he was he was bigger than the Hammer movies yeah, for maybe. sure by that time. Yeah, this is like seventy four. So, um, I think it's an all right um, um, entry, and mm -hmm. Terrence Fisher's direction does help a bit. I think. Yeah. I think him coming back, uh, you know, kind of brought some more life to it again, uh, because you know I do like a lot of the Frankenstein ones, but horror Frankenstein was just really not my bag. It wasn't my bag, baby, at all. But. Uh, I mean, after that, I liked almost all of them besides Horror Frankenstein and Evil Frankenstein. Um, how would I put this one? Uh, ranking it probably somewhere. It's after Frankenstein created woman and must be destroyed and cursed for sure. Maybe like the fourth or fifth of the series. I mean... It's I, above three of them. I like this one. I think I, I, I like Frankenstein created woman the best. That's the And Curse, I think, is excellent too, the first one. 
I mean, the curse is okay. I think that this one might actually be my second favorite. It does kind of lull in the middle. No, um, I, I think towards the third act, the beginning of the third act is is just like sleep inducing. Yeah, and it's because like like they're trying to like solve some sort of mystery. There's a very procedural part about this, and like it gets kind of talky, but not like it gets like quiet talky. Like well, the opening is great. The setup um, with Shane mm-hmm. Bryant going in the insane asylum and introducing all these characters that you know are going to become part of Frankenstein's <laughs> next monster. So right. you're like, he has a great mind, and you're like. Oh, it's like he has beautiful hands. And you're like, oh. and like so he starts making this monster out of all the patients in the hospital. Um and there's a bunch of like crazy people at the end that actually attack the monster. The monster is horrifying in this one. Yeah. He's big. He's huge. I think it's it says it's David Prowess in this book again. He was the strong man in Vampire Circus and he played Drew Frankenstein in horror for Frankenstein. Wasn't he um, Darth Vader? Yeah, he also was yeah. Doc Vader in the suit, so um, yeah, he's, he's got kind of a following or he's got, you know, some good roles behind him. Um, I, I think this one's pretty decent. I, uh, and it leaves such, such an open note that I wish that there would have been some finality to the series, to be honest. Uh, it almost, like it says, becomes a parody of itself at the end. It, it does. Um, like, like essentially he gets torn to shreds by the um inmates of the, the monster not dr yeah yeah the monster like they just but, tear him apart but, but all the monsters always end up killed and, and frankenstein somehow manages to weasel his way out and survive right and and, and i think what it is well what, why this is so meta is is you have like the, gen, the general mass just like p- literally picking these films apart and frankenstein's like i'm just going to give him something new i'm just going to do I, like I'm going to create something new again, and it's always the same thing. And it's always the same thing. It's just going to be like like consumed by the masses, and it, it's just well over the end too. He's like Shane Bryant's like, what are we going to do? He's like, we're going to start over. Yeah. Like it's I'm, I'm all about business. There's no changing of Frankenstein's mind. Right. Never does uh, he have like a um a moment of like um what is it? What I'm looking for where he's like a self inflection where he, so he realizes what he's doing is stupid. He right. never has that. Like as in the character he was in twins of evil where he was like, Oh, maybe I'm not up and up on here. He never registers what he's doing is, is ever wrong. And that's a good, that's Dr. Frankenstein. It is Dr. Yeah, Frankenstein. Except in the original one, he realizes what he's done is wrong. And, and you know, and I, he does. I mean, Frankenstein does realize what he does is wrong right away. Right. But in these right. ones afterwards, he doesn't. No, no, he he doesn't. He just keeps doing it, and and he's mad. He's doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting again. different results, and it never works out for him. And and like he says, is I'm just going to do it again. It's like none of these movies are continuous. We're all fresh new starts. We're all except one and two. Except except one and two, and it, it's just I'm just going to do the Frankenstein story again and again and again, and it will always and always fail. It will but they switch it up apart. a little bit. They add new elements. Um, um it, I think it's really interesting that these movies follow Doctor Frankenstein versus when I think like the Universal. I think it more follows the monster. Well, yeah, yeah, the monster going through all these different right. things. Well, they couldn't get the rights to how you know Frankenstein look, but right. yeah, the original ones. I mean, he he run. He's not always with Doctor Frankenstein at all. Right. He, he, I mean, he fights the Wolfman. You know, he's in a bunch of different movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Shane Bryant. I think is how you say it. I think he's the best Frankenstein's helper of all time. Yeah. I think he wits perfectly. Um, I think he's really he he's really well acted in here, and I like that it has some uh, similarities to Revenge of Frankenstein with the crazy people doing kind of the similar thing and this time it's the monster instead of the doctor that mm-hmm. they attack but I would recommend this one I'm going to come in at a 7 
I'll give it a four, no, three and three quarters. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to read from John Stanley's Creature Features. This is out of five stars. Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, uh, 1973 is what he has it at. Two out of five stars. Final entry in Hammer's Frankenstein series at its best with laboratory black humor. Shane Bryant, a young disciple of Brayman Frankenstein, is sent to Carlsbad Asylum for the Insane for his heinous acts. But once there, he is befriended by Frankenstein, the utterly delightful and mad Peter Cushing. Assisted by mute Madeline Smith, the team takes a genius violinist brain and places it in David Prowess's cranium, resulting in new mayhem. The script by John elder is cliched and half-hearted terence fisher's direction is weary it's but a ghostly shadow of earlier films in this historic series i feel like he probably didn't like the other ones and now he's just acting like he liked them right I, I don't even know how he feels about some of the other ones like i feel like he was kind of harsh on them maybe he was more right i can't remember all the reviews to be honest you know what i'm curious about before i go into mine i wonder if when they were making star wars and they hired peter cushing as um and they david, david pros they hired yeah. both of them you, you know i wonder if, if they just came together as a package like like yeah you play you play the, like the smart guy and uh you're the tall imposing guy how about we just hire I, you two together i'm sure it was a very british production and they were and peter cushing was they knew him and they're like he'd be perfect in this kind of role right. and the other guy was just probably a big kind of stunt actor guy and he was there and they picked him i mean it's perfect it's weird as popular star wars is i know nothing about like the behind the scenes or no, like, I don't know the, the casting either. It. Yeah, maybe it is a British production. Let me show your book. Oh, I mean, um, Star Wars has a lot of British people in it. It does. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Like partially, maybe it was partially British. Was this terror on tape? Yeah, I do think it was partially British cast and made. Let's see. Well, Christopher Lee was in it too. Later. Yeah, that's so different. He is. This guy's four stars, so he does two and a half. I'm assuming that a hollowed out star. Yeah, it is. it is. Okay, so two and a half out of four. Um, so close to mine. Hammer's last Frankenstein movie is interesting, but compromised in this video edition by being released in an edited ELP mode version only. Ooh. Don't know what that means. I mean, it's, it's uh, in the fastest tape form, so they could squeeze uh, less tape on there. It's cheap. It, oh. it plays fucked up. It'd be like... <laughs> That's how I watch all my movies. Yeah. The Baron Cushing now resides in an asylum where he's aided by an adoring young acolyte, Bryant, in the creation of a new monster, Prowse, with a Neanderthal body but the brain of a genius... Effects and makeup are weak, but this is still worth seeing. Um, yeah, maybe the the makeup's cheap. The monster's big and scary, but he looks weird. He does look weird. He looks he, like a werewolf. Yeah. Or like a caveman. I mean, he is a Neanderthal. I mean, that that's what he says. And yeah. Like, and he had a Carl Panzram story. He he tried to break out of the wall and, like, broke his back. Right. That's the serial killer Carl Panzram climbed the wall, and they like he fell down and broke his spine and he was all messed up and he's like, threw him in the cave. I mean, he's a piece of shit, so, oh well. And I, I don't know why Frankenstein would choose the body of a Neanderthal. Like, he wants to create man, but he's just he like... He wants him strong. He wants him strong. He wants the, the strength of a, a superhuman. He wants the hands and craftsmen of somebody who is can do great things and he wants the brain of a genius. And the nose of an elephant and, and the <laughs> eyes of a falcon. I, I mean, like, I don't understand why he's like, like, I just want to make this mongrel of like... like but he can just probably bring somebody back to life easier. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I don't know. It's just like, 
Like, look at this horrible, he's crazy. horrible thing he's I crazy, made. But he made it. He gave Worship. it life. Because if you don't make it, if you don't create it, it's not your own being. I don't know what he thinks, but that's what he's thinking. Next week is Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, the last in the Hammer Draculas. Thank Christopher God. Lee is not in it, but Peter Cushing is. And it's a, it's a co-production with the Shaw Brothers. So next week is our last Cushing? Yes. We have one more lead, don't we? Yep. Oh, wow, we're almost at the end. Yep. And then what are we going to do? We're doing that new series. Oh, yeah. After the year end, after the Hammer season finale, we're doing a um, new series. Where we talk about Tarantula for 52 weeks. I don't think you put Tarantula. Oh, you did. I did. I, I put Tarantula on there. Well, how about I pull the fast one? We have to watch the TV movie Tarantula from the 70s instead. No, we're, we're, <laughs> we're watching the one specifically I'm referenced ch- in science fiction double feature. I am changing all mine to Ants. The, <laughs> the one of Stallone? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my other one. There's going to be the other Ants and that Ants. And then them. Ants with a Z. Ants with a Z. Yes. All right. Well, we're out of here, guys. Bye. found guilty of one of the vilest of crimes. I am a doctor, you know. I have decided to extend my leniency to its limits by only sentencing you to be committed to the state asylum for the criminally insane for a period of five years. give up your work completely and you haven't if I've succeeded this time then every sacrifice will be worthwhile Frankenstein, creator of man. If everything could be reborn, unblemished, if a new version of his true self could be created, huh? In the normal way, by mating. But who with?
Okay, guys, let's get into these questions. Nick Mua, another very entertaining couple hours. I like the visual style of how your show. It's very elegant. None of that handheld stuff. What kind of cameras do you use? <laughs> I just use a couple cheap uh, Canon cameras. Um, they're not the best cameras, but they do decent quality, and it's 1080p, so we go with that. If you could safeguard your movie collection with Indiana Jones-style booby traps, which ones would you install? Probably a pit, like, that just drops them down so, like, there wouldn't be blood and gore all over my movies. So just a pit that sends them somewhere. I don't care where. It's just not here. Um, are you, as you're an expert on all things zombie, I was wondering, have you seen the 2008 Canadian zombie flick, uh, Les and Flams, AKA Ravenous? If so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I actually did. And I reviewed that one. I thought it was really well made. I thought it was kind of exceptional, well acted, heartfelt, uh, great dramatic core to it and good characters liked it intense. And the zombies really weird. Kind of reminded me of like Stephen King's cell. Good stuff. Um, if you, if YouTube demanded that you include a gimmick in your shows from now on, what would you choose? Doing your reviews on a unicycle, shoot Jeremy out of a giant cannon, juggle knives, adopt a Russian accent. I would go to Vimeo. Yeah, that's what I would do. I just pay the $200 a year and go to Vimeo. Um, but, uh, let me see if I had a gimmick. Um, maybe I would do an exercise or something before each video. I don't know. It turned into an exercise re of, uh, movie review thing. And then we have Dan the Cameraman. At what point did you start to seriously collect movies instead of casually buying them? Ooh, I've always been had a collector mentality. As a kid, I collected toys, but after a certain age, my, I had a couple. We had a couple movies at our house that just you know my grandpa brought down. But my grandpa used to record everything. He'd rent and record everything. So we had a bunch of recorded tapes. So we'd have tons of movies to watch. So at a certain point, um, I started to record my own. And I wrote down lists. I'd wake up in the middle of the night at like 10 to 13 and just write down movies um, that uh, I wanted to record. Like rent and record. I got two VCRs, do it myself. and got the scrambler. So I'd wake up and write all down the movies that I remember liking. And there, I just have lists around my room that are all scribbled on from the middle of the night. Dozens of movies written down. Go through the movie review books and highlight what I wanted. Put check marks next to all of them. So I've always been a voracious collector. But... Um, when I started collecting DVDs and VHS, I went to VHS first and started buying the real thing. You know, recorded stuff wasn't good enough anymore after you started a certain age. And you don't realize that you're stealing when you're a young age. You know what I mean? You don't gather what you're doing as much. And a lot of guys did that back in the day in the 80s and 90s. But um, at a certain point, I started just ordering offline. And, you know, I'd go to video stores when they were closing down and buy lots of stuff. And then I started getting DVDs and then hit Blu-rays. And um, when I started YouTube, it, it blew up even more, though, to be honest. Um then we have, is there a subgenre of horror you really don't like watching? I don't like modern ghost stories. It's just not my thing. Not into them. Or a lot of modern exorcist movies, not my thing either. Uh, did you always want to be an actor or did you get your calling later? Um, as a kid, I used to run around the house and act like the Universal Monsters. So I always like to entertain um, in that kind of way and make people laugh or just be entertaining to people. Um, so I've always kind of wanted to be an actor or I was an actor. When me and my friends would hang out or my cousin, we'd always do these characters. We'd make up these characters and just be running around the house and being weird people and everything like that. Um, just all sorts of things like that. We do skits and all sorts of things. So I've always wanted to be an actor or liked acting or performing. But after a certain age, I wanted to direct. And then it went back to more of an acting kind of thing too. So I've always wanted to do something involving movies. Um, I took drama classes and stuff too as well in high school, but it was always for fun. Okay, and then we have answers. I said underrated podcast. Um, so Nick Mua, podcast one should listen to. Um, Dead for Filth with Michael uh, Verardi. 
he always manages to score interesting genre guests who are actually proud of their work and don't try to deny it. Also, the man's a walking, talking encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I he used to go to Wasteland all the time, and I've I, I've seen him a couple times there. I um I really need to check out his podcast. I have not, which is pretty shameful. I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I know he's a very educated and whore. Life is short with Justin Long. Not a whore podcast per se, unless turning 40 scares the bejesus out of you. And it does. Uh, still, some of the guests, i.e. Virginia Madsen, Judy Greer, have done a fair bit of whore, and their behind-the-scenes stories are delight. Even the guests who only dip their toe in the films that go bump in the night are interesting. Sometimes the most effective scary films come from people who aren't that well-versed in it. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, I mean, Stanley Kubrick wasn't a whore director, and The Shining's excellent. Uh, also, uh, Colander's The Witching Hour with uh, Haley and Perry provides a healthy stream of many a thing horror-related. Movies or shows yet to come, discussing classics with the people who made them or starred in them. I um, heard about Midnight Kiss on this podcast. And uh, Michael Veer says The Shameless uh, Picture Show had to self-promote. Mark Zelinsky, uh yeah, dude, been a podcast since 2006 and has a, um, um, yeah, dude, that's the name, uh, been a podcast since 2006 and has a decent following, but still not widely known. Just two dudes from California shooting the shit. Glenn D. Worthington, Bay of Blood podcast. Jordan Bibby, Land of the Creeps. Rebecca Reinhardt, mine, that's the Micah Madness, if anybody's interesting. Sam Edwards, Color Me Giallo. BJ Colangelo, My Neighbors Are Dead. AJ Fryer, Darkest Night. Tony Walters, Cough Punch, Drunk Love, The Podcast Cough. Watts, Watson. Um, who does the um, Watt Z podcast. I would have to go with Considering the Cinema. It's a solo cast by my absolute favorite podcaster, Jay of the Dead, who you might know as the former lead host of Horror Movie Podcast. He's also the lead host of Horror Movie Weekly, yet another underrated show. Jay's work delivers very real value to his listeners, so much so that even when I wholeheartedly disagree with him, I can't help but see him as the most legit film critic in our community, the Roger Ebert of Horror Podcasting. I mean, hell, Jay's always professional and articulate. His audio is always top-notch. That right there is where it's at homies jason fetters i really liked horror uh horror inc but they are not doing their podcast on a regular basis anymore now i listen to monster kid radio i also listen to night watch hosted by todd sheets that covers horror and paranormal um monster kid radio is what he also shares todd sheets does have a podcast i haven't had a chance to check that out phil hall mine uh, and then he posts uh, online movie shows with phil hall and then we have, there's a lot of people doing that. <laughs> it's like, hey, they always self-promote, but uh, what is, what is. Then we have some old answers from uh, underrated YouTubers. Will Cardell, BDG Reviews, Glenn Worthington, Frank Fulci, Jamal Potter. These guys are really good. Only discovered them recently, and he shows off-the-shelf reviews. Hunter's uh, Crow. Um, George Verner, Drew Sky McGillicuddy, uh, Kentuckinator, underrated YouTuber, Lampy Man 101. His work on cataloging the video, cataloging the video nasties was great. To paraphrase Marty De Bergie, I am always blown away by your punctuality. Information. I have some information and comments I wanted to read that I thought. Um, we have the Mystagog. Um, I thought this was pretty nice of him to write. I love hanging out on YouTube watching music videos from the past. Some, some funny stuff or viral vids, but I can honestly say Mr. Parker's weekly reviews and updates is the only thing on YouTube I look forward to in advance to watching. I really treat your channel like an actual channel. It's a program I look forward to. I so wish your view counts would explode. So do I. I'm just kidding. Um, Bizcut uh, Horror Reviews. I actually recently watched Bloodstream for the first time after reading about it on the Bleeding Skull book. Really solid SOV flick, especially for one I never heard about anything. Anything about. Makes me want to seek out the director's other films. 
and he talks about Paul Zagari here. Paul Zagari is a really interesting take on kaiju films that was produced by Kim Jong-il, who was a fan of Godzilla movies and films in general. No joke, dictator Kim Jong-il loved movies and wrote a book about film. He even considered Friday the 13th to be one of the best American movies ever made. So as a fan of kaiju films, he wanted to make his own. So he kidnapped a South Korean director and forced him to make the film. Kim Jong-il's top three favorite movies were First Blood, Godzilla, and Friday the 13th. Hey, he's got good taste in film, even if he's a piece of crap. And then we have uh, Jack Senny. I believe Richard Bright. He had some information about Richard Bright, because I said something about him in the other podcast. I believe Richard Bright played not merely a bar patron, but the character Holly and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and did so memorably, exiting the film with a significant death scene at the hands of Garrett, who gets him drunk and leaves him his knife to go for so that he can be shot. Bright delivered the lines, Tell me, Pat. You afraid to take it to the kid or what? With an extrinsicity of his own, like every other actor in that great film. A lot of great care. I love, uh, in that movie, I remember LQ Jones so well. I can't, we rode in this town together. That scene where he's laying on the ground hurt is just such a good delivery. And he's just out of it. I'll tell you where the kid is, Pat. That, that's a really good thing right there. Um, LQ is the best anyways. And then, um, uh, also, uh, Slim Pickens in that movie. Yeah, he's so good. I don't do much for anything. I don't do anything for a coin nowadays. He's great in that. But, uh, yeah, I guess we're gonna hop. Oh, no, 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 we are not. I gotta stop forgetting. We're gonna talk about the question of the week. So, uh, basically I want to know what sort of categories do you want to see in the Hammer Horror Finale? What ones do you want to see me and Jeremy talk about? You want to see best actors, best actor, best director, um, some most surprising movie. Give me some categories that we're going to talk about because we're going to do like probably we're going to do our top 20 or something like that and bottom five. And then we'll do some other categories that we have in mind. But give us some suggestions, okay? And now I guess we're going to hop into that update. Okay, this one's fairly decent size and a bunch of sales. So we got from Warner Archive, it's time for action. Axon Jackson, Carl Weathers, uh, they had their 4 for 44, so I couldn't pass this one up. I really like Axon Jackson, Carl Weathers is the shit, this movie's got a great cast, Vanity, isn't Sharon Stone in this, Craig T. Nelson, Nicholas Ward, Miguel Nunez, Sonny Lanham, uh, fucking Robert Davi's in this too, isn't he? I can't remember, there's a lot of people in this movie. Excellent action movie, really fun. Now you really pissed me off. Love Carl Weathers. Um, the Fearless Vampire Killers um, by Roman Polanski. I've seen this one. Really weird, goofy vampire movie. I remember liking it. Kind of strange. I think it stars Roman Polanski himself in there. So, yeah. Cool stuff. Or Definitely sh- uh, stars Sharon Tate. So, yeah. Cool movie. Then we have Whatever Happened to Baby Jane by uh, Robert Aldridge with, of course, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, this is an excellent movie I saw on television when I was a kid and really liked it. So, um, I mean, if you, it can keep the attention of like a 10-year-old kid in black and white movie. You know, I, I was a weird kid, but still, um, excellent movie. Uh, great stuff. Robert Aldridge was more versatile than people would give credit for. And then we have The Witches which I have not seen in years. I remember liking this one, Nicholas Rogue movie. Uh, watched it as a kid. This definitely is kinder trauma for children, for sure. But yeah, The Witches, um, good stuff. Who? Yeah, Angelica Houston. Yeah. Then we got this three-pack I got from the Target. 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 What the hell's Target? Target buy two, get one. And this is House of Wax. Uh, return, to ha- the return to House on Haunted Hill and Ghost Ship. It was good. I, I paid not much for it. Wanted to check these three out. I actually wanted to watch House of Wax because people say it's more of a remake of Tourist Trap. So, yeah. Not bad for the price. And then we have You'll Like My Mother. Um, this looked cool. Um, is this a Curtis uh, Harrington movie? I'm not sure. It, it sounds like it would be. Um, is it? Uh, let's see his name. 
I'm not sure. Um, I don't see direct. No, this is Lamont Johnson. Strange. I, I figured it would be a Curtis Arrington. Um, so, no, it's not. Uh, looks good. Got Richard Thomas in there. Know him from It. Then we got The Bear, which I have not seen since I was a kid. This is one they would show us in school. Um, about this bear cub being like tracked by these evil hunters. And I remember the, the hunter staring and shooting at the moon as a kid. That's a scene that's stuck in my head forever. I believe it's this movie. Um, then we have UHF. Uh, I also got this from the Buy 2 Get 1. Um, this movie's goofy and weird and crazy. Kevin McCarthy, it's a Weird Al movie. Michael Richards. I've, not seen, I've only seen this one time and really liked it, so I wanted to check it out again. Then we have The Lost Continent, a Hammer movie. This is from Scream Factory. I enjoyed this one, a Michael Carreras movie. Um, the crab monsters and shit is bonkers. Um, enjoyable, crazy movie. Then we got one from Hamilton Books. I uh, got a good price on it. Drag Me to Hell, the collector's edition, Sam Raimi movie. Has both versions on there. Couldn't pass this up for 12 bucks. Never seen it. I know it's bad. I know. At that time, I didn't watch a lot of new movies, so Drag Me to Hell. Then we got The Curious Female from uh, Code Red. Um, don't know much about this one. Good price on it, though. Looks very exploitation, so probably like it. Then we got Race to Glory, a good, another, uh, an again, another cheap one. Don't know much about it. Alex MacArthur, I believe he played um, the uh, serial killer in Rampage. Ray Wise is in there. That's good. Love Ray Wise. Lane Smith right there. That's weird. Just talking about Lane Smith. Um, is that Lane Smith? I believe it is. So, yeah. And then we got Iron Warrior, Ator 3. Um, or Iron Warrior 3, I believe it is. Ator. I don't know. I can't keep up with all these fucking sword and sandal movies. But um, <laughs> I don't think the second one's on Blu-ray yet. So These are fun, though, for me. I like these. And last, we got Dario Argento's Sleepless. Well, I actually really like this one. Um, I think it's kind of an underrated, almost gem from Dario. And I had to get the Blu-ray. I've seen this one a couple times, liked it. The back of the cover is a spoiler. Spoiler city on the back of this thing. But that was um, from Scorpion. Not cheap, but worth it for me. So uh, back to the video, guys. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Hey.